Hey everybody, um, it's time to have some fun tonight. I'm very excited about tonight and the things that are going to happen, so uh, here we go. Um, so the other day I posted on Facebook, I asked people um, to tell me their favorite Bible passage, and, and so, um, so people just started commenting passage after passage after passage, and you know, of course, you know, Psalm 23, then something out of Hebrews, then Psalm 23, then something out of the, the gospel, Psalm 23, then Psalm 23. And it's just like, Psalm, people are obsessed with Psalm 23, right? And so, and then the fans, some, some people brought up some kind of other things from, you know, uh, the different parts of the Bible. But for every, for every other passage, there were two or three people that would comment Psalm 23. And so I, I collected all um, the people who said uh, Psalm 23, and that I asked them, Why? You know, tell me what is such a big deal about Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, people began um, to say back, it gives um, confidence. It, it gives this idea um, that God is always there, you know, in the, 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 the hard times and the fantastic times and the good times, the, the, the just really difficult times, that God is present. And, and Psalm 23 paints this picture of God being like this ultimate father, the shepherd, and people enjoy that a lot. Like, you know, and it seemed to bring up this idea of this profound confidence that, that people felt whenever they approached Psalm 23. And I, so I opened up to Psalm 23, and I'm going through Psalm 23. I'm like, yeah, I feel that confidence that people are talking about. I enjoy Psalm 23. You know, I'm jumping on this, you know, thing too. Forget everything else. Let's do Psalm 23. And so um, this confidence that I felt, you know, is this confidence that I feel often um, kind of is that's portrayed here at Christ Community. I mean, I've seen um, profound confidence uh, from the people here at our church. Um, our church has funerals all the time and, and how, how our congregation upholds the integrity of the pain of funerals but points to Christ. You know, our people, they're going all over the planet preaching the gospel in confidence. Uh, you know, I see our, our people in our community praying for people and things happen when they step out in this confidence of the gospel. And um, the Apostle Paul, he talks about the confidence in Christ all the time. In fact, here's a, a passage here from 2 Corinthians uh, 34. So as a congregation, here we go. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, but not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives gives life. And when the Spirit shows up, like these phenomenal things happen and stories are born. And I'm a storyteller. That's what I do. That's what I do. I love telling stories. And so do you. Whenever you go on trips, whenever you come home, whenever you go to you know, some sort of church event or you're, you're, you're on campus and God does something phenomenal, you tell stories. I tell stories because stories are contagious and they get in your soul and they burn. The thing about stories, though, is oftentimes people don't believe you. 
I didn't see them leave you. You know, like, I don't, so often I'm talking to people inside the church and I say, I wanted to tell you something what God just did. I want to share with you something that God just taught me. I want to share with you. And some of you have come home from trips and you said, I want to share with you how I saw this healing. I want to share with you how, I, how God, you answered this prayer. And, then, and when you share it, people are like, wow. So does God actually do that? Did God actually heal? And these are, are people in the church who are skeptical on if the fact that God actually shows up or not. It's, it's kind of like, you know, as a church, we are, are typically in these postures of we believe in God, kind of. Um, we b believe he's out there, but we don't believe he's actually out there. It's like we're on this journey of following after God, and if God shows up, that's mind-blowing, that's awesome, but we don't expect him to. Whenever we pray for something, we hope that it happens, but if it doesn't happen, it's, that's okay, because we don't actually expect prayers to be answered. And so we have this thing of being surprised by God all the time, and we celebrate being surprised by God. Here's what God did, and I, I can't believe it. Here's what God did, and I can't believe he answered my prayers. God brought this person to Christ, and I can't believe it. I'm tired of the church being surprised by God. Because whenever we're constantly surprised by God, does it show that we have confidence in God? You see, there's this fine there's this fine difference between the two. I enjoy surprises. I'm all about birthday presents and Christmas. But whenever it comes to my faith and when it comes to God and when it comes to the gospel, Paul has this profound idea of having confidence in the gospel, having confidence in Christ, as it's something that should not surprise you one inkling. The surprises are for everyone else out there to come here. And so it brought me to ask this question, what if I actually believe that God was really real? That's really simple, right? What if I actually believed in God? What if I actually believed that God was really, really real? That would change everything. And that's humiliating to say, being up in here and telling you that. But if I believe beyond a shadow of doubt the, that God is really, 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 really real, wow. And how would that change how we pray if we had this profound confidence in the gospel, this profound confidence in God? How would that change our postures and things? So our sermon series today is called Tattered Covers, and it's bringing up stories of the Old Testament to teach us about who we actually are and who God is and how those two collide together and go, yes. And today's story that we're going to be talking about is one of the absolute most common stories that you have ever heard, and it comes from 1 Samuel 17. And oftentimes, we don't hear stories kind of in their entirety. And so I'm going to offer you a gift today. I'm going to give you the opportunity to hear this whole story. And then after, we're going to pull it apart, right? Um, so I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, get comfortable, 
close your eyes, get comfortable, and, and we're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel 17. And so as your eyes are closed, picture yourself kind of on top of a hill, and it's beautiful, and there's a bunch of things happening that are going to be talked about now. Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him... You will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. He was talking with them. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on a sword over his tunic and tried walking around. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, 
chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And this Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. All right, so, so off the bat, there are so many things about this story that you probably have never heard before because you always have heard the story summarized or paraphrased or you saw a cartoon of it, of, a, you know, of, of how it happened or a flannel graph in and, and Sunday school and the cartoon character of David and Goliath and he's cute and Goliath is horribly ugly. And, and so from you know, this um, picture, the whole context context of 1 Samuel 17, you start to see things that you possibly haven't seen before, the, the humanity that is at stake. Um, and this truly is like this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of confidence in God and confidence in the promises that he has given his people that, that, that are embodied by the shepherd boy. And so I'm going to kind of pick apart this passage and, and point out these themes of confidence that, that kind of show up here and that I think we all could grab a hold of. First of all, um, I want to just paint this picture of the thing that's happening here. There's the Philistine army, and then there are the people of God, the Israelites. And there are two hills. There's a hill here, or it's over here. I don't know. Let's say it's over here. There's a hill here, and then there's a hill here. And we have the Philistine army here, and we have the, the Israelite army here. And then um, they have decided to not go to battle against each other. They've decided... Um, to send out a tribute from each army. And so they will each send out the best of the best that their country has to offer. And so whoever comes out on top, the other people are going to be the slaves of that country. So it's a big deal. And so the Philistines are confident in the pick that they have as Goliath. Like, like he is a animal and he's covered in bronze and bronze at this time is 
is phenomenal. People don't have it. It's the best. You armor, and he's huge, and he is a very seasoned person. And so the Israelites, though, they see Goliath and they say, there's not a single person that we have who could possibly beat him. And so what happens is, because of the terms of agreement, they have to show up each day to say, the army is here, but we don't have a tribute to offer. If the army does not show up on so any particular day, that shows that they f- forfeit. And if they forfeit, they are the slaves of the Philistines. And this is why this happens for 40 days. Day after day after day, they're not going to forfeit. They're going to show up. They don't have anyone to offer. And Goliath comes down kind of in the valley between the two hills, and he taunts the people of God, the children of God. And one of his big taunts that I think is really profound is he refuses to call Israel Israel. He calls them the servants of Saul. Or in proper Hebrew, it's the slaves of Saul. He won't even say that they're people of God or that they're people called by God. You are the slaves of Saul. And he comes out and he taunts them and he says, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to slaughter you all. Send someone down. And this terrifies the people of God because they think he's correct. And this happens for 40 days. 40 is important. The 40 is, it shows up all over the Bible. The term 40 days is symbolic of a time of torment or trial or um, being uh, conversion, growth, um, trial by fire. We have the 40 days of the flood, the 40 um, days out in the desert, the 40 years of the Hebrew. I mean, all over. It's in the Bible 146 times, 40 days. And it always points out something that is painfully hard. And so this whole thing is happening for 40 days. And then our story begins. The shepherd boy shows up and he hears Goliath taunting the people. Taunting God's people. These are God's people. And here's where the story begins because David is offended. And this is important. He isn't a soldier. He didn't come here to fight a battle. He came here to bring his brothers food. And he overhears Goliath talking bad to God's kids. And he gets offended. And he says, this is not okay. And so here's the passage up here. Okay, as a congregation, here we go. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This isn't just a shepherd boy, you know? Like, the confidence that he exudes here to say what he is saying, what he is doing is not okay. And for me, this is an important point of confidence in Christ, confidence in the gospel. The confidence to see things that are being done, this is confidence to hear things that are being said, the confidence to to experience the things that are not okay, and to point out, this is not okay. 
It is important for us, people who are confident in the kingdom of God, confident in the calling of the gospel, to be able to see things as God sees them and to be able to say, this is not okay. And it takes a lot of confidence to stand up to that. You see, Goliath, who he is, he just isn't a Philistine. He is the head champion of Babylon. And this is a big deal. Who he embodies and who he stands for is he stands for everything that God does not stand for. He is the standing for paganism. He is standing for the overthrow of God's children, of God's kingdom. He stands for this forward progress. And he's asking, do you have anything it takes to beat me? Can you stand up to this? And so if you start to embrace the poetry of this passage, it's a big deal because Goliath is very alive today, confronting us today, calling up from the valley. Do you have anything it takes to overthrow this? And I love the response of uh, uh, the, sh- the shepherd that we say, oh, he's just this cute little shepherd boy. No, he insults Goliath back. How does he insult Goliath? And he does this twice. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He criticizes his junk. And I mean, this is really, I mean, like, that's what he's doing. He's like, he's calling it out. You know, it's not like, hey, I got to respect him. He's terrifying. Who is this uncircumcised Phyllis? Like, you can almost see his chest puffing out. I'm like, come on, guys. I love it. You know, it's just, yes, this is not okay. And the people that are coming to us and, you know, taunting us, they have nothing to say to this. This is what I enjoy so much about our church and for the city and beyond because this whole thing is built around this idea of the church saying it's not okay. Um, it's, it's not okay that there are all these people in our city in poverty. It's not okay that there are so many addicted people in our city. It's not okay that our families are, it's not okay. Confidence in the gospel, and you can have confidence in the gospel whenever you have confidence in the identity of who you are. And that that's the second thing that this shepherd boy has. He has confidence in who he is and his calling as a child of God. You see, David just isn't a shepherd. He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. Like he has people telling stories about him. He's killed bears. I've never killed a bear. That's terrifying. Can a 12-year-old boy kill a bear? No. He's not a tiny little boy. This is like David kills bears and animals that try. And like, it talks about the, the animals would jump on him and he grabbed them by the hair and club them and kill them. He's fierce and he knows who he is. And so the first thing that happens whenever you start to speak up about things that are not okay and you start confronting things and you start pointing down a Goliath and say, no, something has to be done about that uncircumcised Philistine. Something happens is people start to question your identity. People start to question what you have to offer. And who is the first person that begins to question that? You. 
You do. You start to ask, do I have anything that it takes? Can I actually do this? You know, do I have what it takes to actually solve a problem that I'm presenting? And so here's what happens kind of in the story. Here we go. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued it from the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Do you see? Oh, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and the bronze helmet from his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So do you see what happens? He goes to Saul and he says, I, I'm going to be the tribute, right? I will tribute myself and I will go before, before Goliath. And, and Saul says, no, you're too small. You don't have the experience. You don't have what it takes. And David, then he talks about these st stories of things that he has done, the animals that he has killed. And he said, but God has done these things for me. God has protected me from the bear. God has protected me from the lion. God has protected me through all these things. And he will do the same. Because the uncircumcised Philistine is kind of like the bear. And he's like the lion. And God will strike him down. Whenever he starts to question his identity, whenever Saul begins to question his identity, David then points back to the things that God has done. He points back to God and here's who I am in God. I am someone who God protects. I am someone who God fights for. I am someone who God empowers to protect his sheep. I love this. I know who I am and I know the things that, are cap that, that God is capable of. And whenever who I am plus who God, what God is capable of, when those things collide, Goliath falls dead. For the city and beyond is all about Goliath falling dead. And when the people of God know who they are and whenever they know fully well the things that God is capable of and the two slam together, Goliath falls over dead. Furthermore, something that I love is, is just the conversation around the slaying of David that he is this pro at, right? It's sling. It's not a slingshot. It's like this, this thing that, you know, you know, boom, right? It's, it's this powerful thing. It's like a shotgun, right? And they're fiercely accurate. During this time, you have a couple types of soldiers and how people fight battles. You have the art 
artillery, that that's the people who shoot things like the bow, right? They can shoot. It's artillery. You have the cavalry. It's the, the soldiers on horseback. And then you have the infantry. Those are uh, the, the people who carry the sword and the shield, and they go on foot. They're the foot soldiers. And, and typically, there's this pattern of how things happen. Like, for instance, the infantry, they will always beat um, the cavalry. The cavalry will always beat the artillery, but the artillery always beats the infantry. Okay? Let's just do that again so we all follow. So the cavalry is going to always beat the artillery. The artillery will always beat the infantry, and the infantry will always beat cavalry. So in this story of David and Goliath, who is who? You have Goliath, who is infantry, sword and shield, brawn, bronze. Then you have David with a sling that possibly hasn't ever shown up on a battlefield before. So people aren't concerned. But if David could have shown up carrying a bow, the Philistines would have freaked out. They're like, no, 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 no. This is not fair. How come? The artillery always beats infantry. And David knew this. He goes down in confidence, not only in who he is, you know, as a son of God and the things that God is capable of, but also I am artillery going up against infantry. This is like the cards are stacked. The odds are in his favor. In fact, do you know what I'm saying here? Everything is going for him. But the thing that King Saul tries to do is he puts on his armor, gives him his sword, gives him his shield, because Saul is afraid. Whenever people are afraid, we often try to turn people into things that they're not. And when you pretend to be someone you're not, you don't do as good as you should be doing. Because you thrive and you do well being confident in who you are. What Saul was doing was turning David from artillery, a sure fight, a sure win, cards are stacked into infantry. David would not have a shot going infantry against infantry. And David takes these off and confidently goes up to, to, to Goliath as Goliath taunts him. Which brings us up to the next thing. Goliath is terrifying. I'm terrified of Goliath and he's been gone for a super long time. And so David, he sees Goliath and he sprints up to him as Goliath is taunting him. And this point, David shows confidence in the truth of who God has been, of who God is, and who God will always continue to be. And so as Goliath taunts him, who do you think I am? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? Here's what David says in response. Remember, David, courageous, confident, fiery-eyed. It isn't this, this tiny little guy saying, I hope God shows up, right? Here it is. So David said to the Philistine, 
you came against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that there is not by sword nor spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. What gives David the authority to say that? Because whenever he heard Goliath taunting, he didn't say, well, I could possibly be the answer. I, I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to go home. I'm going to pray about it. And let's see what happens. And if I, I feel a tugging on my heart, then I will do it. No, like he's like me. I tribute. I'm in. And then he goes up to him like, no, you have no idea. All the cards are mine. I'm First of all, I'm going to strike you down. Second of all, I'm going to cut off your head. Third of all, the birds and animals are going to feed on your decaying body. Fourth of all, everyone will know that there is a God here. Why? Because God is faithful. God has reputation. God does what he does. And he comes in the name of Israel. He's heard the stories of, you know, of, of the parting of the Red Sea. Do you think that the prophet who parted the Red Sea was surprised that it parted? No, that's what God does. He heard stories of all the battles in the desert and how God showed up and people fell over dead. Do you think those people have been surprised? No, that's what God does. The, the, the going and marching around the city seven times and blowing trumpets and falling in, people die. Do you think they were surprised? No, they had confidence in what God does. There's no birthday presents or Christmas here. This is what the God of Israel does. And David shows up saying, I'm following that. And I know that's already here, and so you don't have a chance. And then he pulls out his sling, and he hurls a stone in the forehead of Goliath. And that's very poetic, by the way. He falls over, face plants in the ground. He's probably still alive. And this boy goes up to him, takes Goliath's own sword, that's close to 45 pounds, and hacks off his head. At this point, he grabs by the hair and holds it up so everyone can see. This is different than your stories we tell in Sunday school. They don't have that in cartoons. The Philistines are terrified. The, the Israelite people are inspired because can you imagine the, what his face was like? Spattered in blood, crazy-eyed, holding up he the head of the enemy. Can you imagine what that was like, what he felt or what he just looks like? Because that is the image of someone who really, really believes in God. That's the image of someone who really, really believed that God was going to show up.
And he was talking to all of the people who kind of believed in God, but were afraid that every time he was talked against. So this guy who really believed held the head of someone who didn't believe to inspire those who kind of believed. We need to stop kind of believing and really, really believe into our God who has a reputation of doing things. This is beautiful. And this is the image of confidence. The confidence to speak up whenever things are not okay. The confidence to have identity, this God-given identity and purpose of who you are. And the confidence in God who has a past, a present, and a future, and it rocks. And this is the confidence that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. Whenever he says this, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are confident in our own ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of this, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is what Paul is talking about when he talks about the confidence of the gospel. This God who goes before us. People say, and the average uh, Hebraic scholar will say that Psalm 23 is done by King David as he's older, and he's glancing back about how he got to the place that he is. And people say that Psalm 23 is about the battle between him and the giant down in the valley of the shadow of death. That it was God who gave him the confidence that go, that, to go into it. That it was God who was actually the good shepherd. That it was God who pried open the mouth of the bear to pull out his sheep. And David was actually the sheep. And that in the moment that David was afraid, that God prepared a table for him in the presence of his enemies and said, come and eat and be confident in this. So this is why I believe that Psalm 23 is so many of our favorite passages, because it speaks to our soul and says, be confident in the gospel. So be confident in the gospel. Be confident in Christ. Be confident in the calling that you have to, 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 to stand in the gap between the things of God and the things that aren't. Be confident to say, this is injustice and this is wrong. This is not okay. Be confident in who you are and who God has created you to be. Don't put on somebody else's armor. It stinks. Be confident in who God had been, is, and is going to be. Be confident and go into the valley and smile at Goliath every day of your life. Amen. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, we thank you for being the good shepherd. We thank you for who you are as not a God who shows up, but a God who invites us to show up into a place that you always have been. God, transform us 
from being someone who kind of believes to people who really believe. God, grow our faith and give us experience. Show us, show us all the billions of places that you are in every hour. Show us the things you are doing and help us to tell the stories so it blows everyone's minds and they say, I can't believe it. God, we thank you for who you are as God who fights for us. God, who is our shepherd and saves us. Today, our church celebrates you and the things that you are doing. In Christ we pray.